Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Matthew chapter 22, if you have your Bibles, I finished up a sermon series uh, a week before last called Jesus Said What, and today I'm just preaching, not starting a new series, just preaching something I feel like God would have us here today. And so I want to preach on this subject, the key to success in life. The Bible gives us that key. The Bible gives us the formula. It's in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, and we'll read, we'll stand and read in just a moment, that if Jesus tells us that if you're going to live successfully in life, then you need to know exactly what the Lord expects from you in your life. Now, follow me here. If you understand your Bible, there are, the Bible says this, Hebrews 9, 27, is appointed unto man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Every single person will stand before God in judgment after they die one day. The Bible tells us that at the end of days, there's only two judgments. There's one that is called the great white throne judgment. That's where all of the unsaved people for all time stand before God and they're asked one question, what did you do with this man named Jesus? And if you find yourself at that judgment, it's too late. But then for the, those who are Christians, there's what Paul refers to as the Bema seat of Christ. That is where we as believers will stand before God in judgment. We are not being judged and punished for our sins. Our sins, the punishment of our sins was placed on Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Good place to say amen right there. But we're judged according to how successful we were in the Christian life. So it only makes sense that if we're going to be judged based on our success in the Christian life, that we ought to know how God measures success. And we find it in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, we have what is called the great commandment. That's how we refer to it. It is the greatest commandment in the scripture given by the greatest person of all time, Jesus. Now, we could go through today and we could rank the greatest of a lot of things. For example, if I ask you who was the greatest boxer of all times, you might say Muhammad Ali. I mean, it's a good chance you'd be close to right. If I ask you what the greatest show on earth was, you might say Ringling. Somebody slept through yesterday, that's for sure, and... uh, You would probably say the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. You might not know the greatest NFL game is supposed to have been the 1958 championship game between Baltimore and New York. It was the first game that was decided in sudden overtime in NFL history. You know, the uh, Time Magazine said Albert Einstein was the greatest person of the 20th century. And then if I were to ask you, what is the greatest college team, sports team ever in the history of college sports teams, you would say 
Right, the UCLA Bruins of the 1960s and 70s that John Wooden coached to 10, who'd you think I was going to say, coached to 10 championships. I mean, we all have our greatest, but we find in Matthew 22, uh, without dispute, the greatest person to ever live, Jesus, giving us the greatest commandment he ever gave, and there's no hesitation on his part. And in that passage... He tells us exactly what each Christian ought to be focused on. He tells us exactly what each church ought to be focused on, the greatest commandment. By the way, I want you to understand this. It is not the greatest suggestion. It's not the greatest recommendation. It is a command and it is the purpose of God for our lives. And here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid too many believers are just living. We get up every day and it's just like the next day and it was just like tomorrow. And we take no thought for eternity or the things of God. So let's, let's change today. Today let's be different and let's live the life of purpose that God intended for us to live. You say, preacher, how are you going to get all that in one sermon? Hey, Jesus didn't even need a sermon. He needed a couple of verses in Matthew 22. So would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word? And you feel free, Matthew is about two-thirds of the way through the new, uh, Bible. It's the first book in what we call the New Testament. It is, uh, you can look it up on your digital device, your iPad or your iPhone, or I'm going to read it off the screens behind me. You can look up here with me. Begin in verse 33, here's what the, the Bible says. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like to it, like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Thank you. You may be seated. So I, I just finished kind of preaching through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was preaching a sermon to his followers and he's preaching once again and thousands of people gather to hear Jesus preach and most are sincere, they are looking for a word from God but in that crowd Jesus always had his opponents, people who were listening to him trying to trip him up and so it is on this day that Jesus has just refuted uh, what the Bible calls the Sadducees. History tells us there were two main groups of people in Jewish, uh, uh, in, during the Jewish times there. One was Sadducees, one was Pharisees. Together they made up the ruling body of the Jews called the Sanhedrin. And they had, they were, they were almost like two different denominations. The Sadducees had their particular belief and the Pharisees had their particular beliefs and they were both self-righteous. They were both more concerned about looking right with God than they were being right with God and they could not stand Jesus. So they're always sending people to Jesus trying to trip him up in his words. And the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 22 they have just been trying to trip up Jesus because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so beginning in verse 23, 
They asked Jesus a question. Now, you don't need to look there, but let me read you about three or four verses. Here's the question. The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Like Oz the second, the third, all the way to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? Now, here's the, here's the deal. They said, Jesus' law says that if a man, the older brother marries a woman and he dies before they can have kids, that the next oldest brother should take her to be his wife. And then if that man were to die, then the third oldest brother should take her to be his wife if they had no children. And that should go all the way down the line. And so they said, Jesus, there was this family that had seven brothers, and this lady married the first one, and then he died before they had kids, and then the second one, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seven. Now, at the resurrection, because they're trying to make fun of the resurrection, that the resurrection, whose, whose wife will she be? Now, I got issues long before we get to the resurrection. Right? Like, I, I'm all messed up before there. If I'm brother number two, maybe. If I'm brother number four, I'm just not going to be right with God from that point forward. Right? Because, lady, I don't know how bad your cooking might be, but it must be really bad. I'm not risking it. I am not risking it. I see a pattern here. And the pattern is that we all die and I'm not marrying you. But that's the question they ask. And Jesus answered it in a way that just kind of shut the Sadducees up. And the Pharisees come along, and, and you see it beginning in verse number 33. They, everybody was astounded at the way Jesus talked. And the Pharisees come along in verse 33, and they decided uh, uh, that they're going to try to silence Jesus. The Sadducees had their turn, and now we're going to ask uh, our question. So look at verse 36. We'll throw it up on the screen. And they ask uh, him, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? It was this raging debate among the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. They had, based on the Ten Commandments, over 600 laws that you were required to keep. And so, there was this raging debate. Are some laws more important than other laws? Are there, are there most important laws and least important laws? There were two groups of people. One group said, yes, you could rank the laws by most important to least important. Another group of people said, no, that's not for us to do. Every word of God is the word of God. And so they're all just as important. And so they thought that debate had been going on for years and years and years. And they thought they'd throw it in Jesus' lap. And so they said to Jesus, Mark tells us the man asked the question in sincerity. But we know that there were some hypocrites, some insincere people in the crowd. And so they asked Jesus, we want you to weigh in on the debate. And what they're trying to do is catch him in his words. But Jesus says, all right, I'll answer the question in verse 37. Here is the greatest commandment. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.5 that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus put the word mind in there, but it's in, it, 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 that's not, it, the, the, the thrust of the passage holds true. That Jesus was saying that a person's total being must be involved in loving God, that you should hold nothing back. 
The word for love is the Greek word agapeo, which means an unselfish love, which really we're only capable of doing with the help of God. So Jesus said the greatest commandment is the one regarding your, get this, vertical relationship between you and heaven. That the greatest command is you should love the Lord your God with all that you have. It's the first commandment of the of the Ten Commandments, and it's the greatest one. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 39, he goes on and he says, and there's another one. We, we might call them sister commandments. And this one is, focuses on horizontal relationships, dealing with human beings, and that is you should love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Leviticus 19.18. Now, the funny thing is that That is not one of the Ten Commandments. Loving your neighbor as yourself is not one of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus throws it in there. And in answering the question on the greatest commandment, he gives two commandments. Your vertical relationship, loving God with all of your heart. Then your horizontal relationship, loving your neighbor as yourself. And the Ten Commandments, I love this. If you look at verse number 40, this is revolutionary in their lives and in our Christian life as well. Because here's what Jesus said. The Ten Commandments and all the other Old Testament laws. Get this. The whole Bible is summarized in those two statements. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two commandments are the key to success in the Christian life. So let me just remind you of that today. Let me point out three things I want us to see in this passage. Number one, I want us to see the great question. The Pharisees regroup. They've got together. They've got a lawyer, which was an expert in the law, and they're trying to trap Jesus. They're they're trying to catch him at his own words. And so they ask him an open-ended question. They didn't say, Jesus, what's the most important law? Is it law one or law two? No, they ask him an open-ended question, hoping he would indict himself or incriminate himself. They were literally, in Matthew 22, they were looking for a reason to put Jesus to death. They didn't care about the answer. They just wanted to catch him in his words. And what Jesus did in verse number 37 with that question in verse number 36 left them speechless because what he did in that passage was took all of those 600 commands. He took all of the word of God and he simplified it down and he made a relationship with God easy. And by the way, he did the same for us. He boiled all the Christian life down to two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. All of the other Bible commands and prophets have their root in these. They are the source of all commands. You might call them the Adam and Eve commands. Every other command came from this. Do I have any Star Trek fans? Anybody watch Star Trek in here? Anybody? Next Generation? If you're a Star Trek fan, it's the prime directive. Anybody watch Gilligan's Island? Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. If you watch Gilligan's Island, the skipper has spoken. (laughs) Anybody ever watch Happy Days? There you go. The Fonz just opened his little black book is what happened. And if you're an investor of my generation, E.F. Hutton 
just begin to talk. Because in that, Jesus clearly laid out exactly what your life should be about, what my life should be about. From the day you were born until the day you die, he gave the perfect response to a difficult, on-the-spot question that's not always easy to do. And listen, when they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? I'll be honest with you. I don't like being caught off guard like that. Have you, you know, you, sometimes, you know, you're riding, road with your fi- riding down the road with your five-year-old. And your five-year-old can ask you a question that is basically, you know, you don't feel qualified to answer. And you always give them the, uh, the best answer you can, which is this. Ask mama when you get home. That is the best answer to everything. And Jesus, when he's asked, listen. Not only was his life in the balance, Jesus, when when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? It is the equivalent of asking, what is our purpose in life? How do we be successful at life? And when you're asked that kind of question, listen, Jesus did not stutter or hesitate because he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt what the answer was. And if he hadn't have known exactly what the answer was, he might have sounded like this girl. Okay. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our education like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq everywhere like such as and I believe that they should uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our Thank you very much South Carolina. That's 10 years old, but still awesome, right? Who's talking about South Africa or the Iraq? Who is, nobody mentioned the South Africa or the Iraq. I love it. There's no reason for me to show you that other than I just love that video, bless her heart. And I love how at the end, she just smiles really big like she nailed it. Sweet girl. But um, that's what the Pharisees wanted out of Jesus was that. They wanted Jesus talking about South Africa and the Iraq when it was all said and done. Such as. But. <laughs> Jesus didn't hesitate. When asked about the meaning of life, the purpose of life, what is most important in life? The question was, Jesus, what should I spend my life doing? Listen, pay attention. Jesus said our lives should be built around these two commands. Don't complicate life. And here's the question I have for you this morning. Is your life built on anything? Because most Christians are just living their lives Checking days off a calendar and moments off a calendar, minutes off a watch and months off a calendar. It was never meant to be that way. Your life has been given to you for you to be a steward of your life 
for you to own your life and take the resources and blessings that God has given you and live with purpose and live with God's purpose. That's what the question was all about. And that leads us into number two. Not only do we see the great question is what is the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? But number two, we see the great answer. What is the greatest commandment? Christ's answer was this. Five simple words. Five, one simple command. Love the Lord your God. Verse 37. That your responsibility as a Christian, my responsibility as a child of God, is to fall head over heels in love with Jesus. That's it. You say, well, how do I be a success in the Christian life? God told us, fall head over heels in love with Jesus. You are to be consumed with loving God. It's how you'll be measured on judgment day. And everything in your life should be about loving Jesus. When you get up in the morning, it's about loving God. When you're at work, it's about loving God. When you lay your head down at night, it's about loving God. It is the number one command. We've been told how to do it. With all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Your heart, that is, you choose to be devoted to Christ. Your soul, that is, the, the breast of your life. Your mind, your intellect, studying about God, learning more about God so you can love him more. But in my opinion, those are not even the most important words in that. Look at verse 37 there on the screen. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God. Notice this, with all. That's the key phrase. With all. The main component of loving God is giving him your all. And if you really want to love God, you do so by giving him your everything, the totality of your life. When you only give half an effort, it doesn't really demonstrate your love. God. This news article came out last week about a New Jersey couple. There was a guy named Johnny Bobbitt who was a homeless man. He's there on the left. Johnny Bobbitt was homeless and that lady on the far right, Kate McClure, her car broke down last year and uh, he, the homeless man gave her his last $20 to help get her on her way. She posted about it, and the story went viral. And so she and her boyfriend, Mark D'Amico, set up a GoFundMe account that raised $400,000 to get Johnny off the streets. But GoFundMe accounts have no stipulations on those. They can be used for anything. And so Kate and Mark just were sued last week. And all of the money was pay, put into a es, third-party escrow fund. Why? Because they were spending the $400,000 on themselves. ABC did an investigative report and found that the money they had raised was being spent on extravagant vacations, trips to Broadway shows. She posted expensive designer handbags on her social media account. 
And the fact was the judge ruled almost none of the money made it to help Johnny get off the streets. It's just one thing to claim you love him. But it's another thing when your actions prove otherwise. And I'll be honest, it's easy in church for us to sing about how much we love Jesus. But it's another thing when we're holding back what God has given us. Because I want you to know every day of your life, God fills your heavenly bank account with blessings and riches and more than we ever deserve. And most of the time, if we're not careful, we'll just hold on to what God has given us. We'll let God fill up our lives. And we give a half-hearted effort in the Christian life. We take everything he's blessed us with. And we give a half-hearted return to God. And somehow we have in our minds that that's going to be good enough. But listen, on judgment day, we'll all be judged by what Jesus said. The great answer to the great question have you loved him with all that leads us number three to not only the great answer but number three the great amendment because Jesus wasn't asked what are the two great commandments but he kept talking and he said that the second greatest commandment It's really an amendment to the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there are other places in the Gospels we're told who our neighbor is. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Your neighbor is anybody in your path who needs your help. That is your neighbor. Simply put, your neighbor equals others. And the second command, which is really not a second, but an extension of the first, is this, love other people. How are we supposed to love other people? Well, he made it plain. So succinct, but so brilliant. You shall love your neighbor. What does it say? As yourself. Jesus paved the way with this one. He laid down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for his enemies. He loved those who were his own and those who were not his own. Christ demonstrated to us That it is possible to love others. So our command is a simple one. Love other people as if you were loving yourself. How do you do that? Caring for them and sharing with them and helping them and giving to them and meeting their needs. Listen, that means as a church, a body, that is our responsibility that God has placed P-Vine for such a time as this and such a place as this. That our ministry is to go out and love our neighbors ourselves. But that also means that God has placed you right where you are. And there are people in your path. With needs. And loving others mean we give to them as we would give to ourselves. Take and close your Bibles and I'm, I'm finished. Just look this way for a few moments. In western Colorado, there's a road called the Million Dollar Highway. Most people who live on the western slope don't even know how it's got its name. Most people think it was such an expensive 
road to build. And there's a picture of it. You can see it. It's an, it's, it was an incredibly expensive road to build. It has a lot of switchbacks on it. It's actually a dangerous road because you can see there in the photo, there's no guardrails really on the side. That, that's one of those roads my wife would scream at me the entire time we were on it. But the reason it's called the Million Dollar Highway is this. There is a 12-mile stretch of road on that highway that was paved with ore from gold mines in the Colorado mountains. And they didn't have time to get all the gold dust and nuggets removed before they had to pave the road. So that Million Dollar Highway is paved with tar and gold. It isn't the cost that gave it its name, but rather what's inside it. It's a road paved with gold. And I tell you that story because I want to put an image in your mind of this. That is what loving others is. It is paving their road with gold. It is giving and helping and loving and making life easier for others that God has placed in our path. It is paving their road to an eternity with Christ. It is paving their road and helping them when they're falling in a ditch. And the truth is, we don't really love a lot of people, do we? You say, sure we do, preacher. No, no. We fellowship with a lot of people. We talk with a lot of people. We're friends with a lot of people. We tolerate a lot of people. Can I get an amen there? But um, we love very few. Here's what Jesus said. We are supposed to love them like we would ourselves. What do you do when you're discouraged? What do you do when you're in need? What do you do when you have a crisis? What do you do when you've gotten bad news from the doctor? What do you do when you've gotten a raise? Romans 12, 15 is a, is a great little verse tucked in the Bible that we often miss. It says, rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. That is loving them. And you know what I've discovered in the Christian life? We have a lot easier time weeping with people than we do rejoicing with people. For some reason, we're better off when your car breaks down than we are if you buy a new Mercedes. But loving them is rejoicing when they rejoice and weeping when they weep. If we're really going to do the business of the church or the Christian life, We've got to love people in these walls, and we've got to love those who are outside these walls. That is the great amendment to the great commandment. Josh, come get a song together to sing. When I was in Bible college, we, one of the things we had to do one time was write our own obituary. We, we had to write our own, what we wanted on our tombstone. That's difficult to do. But years ago, that was posed, a question posed to Ernest Hemingway. They said, could you write a six-word story that would capture the hearts and minds of people? And he wrote what became a famous line, these six words. For sale, baby shoes never worn. Words of tragedy. Well, long ago, an online magazine posed that to many authors, famous and not famous.
And they said, write a six-word story that will capture the hearts and minds of people. And they published it in a book. They didn't intend to write a book, but they were flooded with responses. And they, they published them in a book called Not Quite What I Was Planning. Here's some. Some are funny. Some are serious. One, the one, so here's some of the winners. One tooth, one cavity, life is cruel. Life's cruel. Savior complex makes for many disappointments. One written by a nine-year-old boy with cancer. Cursed with cancer. Blessed with friends. One said, the psychic said I'd be richer. Find another psychic. One said, tombstone won't say had health insurance. One said, not a good Christian, but trying. One said, thought I would have more impact. The challenge of the six-word limitation is, is the demand to focus on what matters most and to summarize life in just six words. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus did it in four. Matthew 22, 33 through 40. The key to success in life is four words. Love God, love people. If you love God and love people, you cannot go wrong. If you spend your days pursuing a love of an almighty God, a vertical relationship, and you spend your days looking for people to help and to love, horizontal relationships, you can stand before God on judgment day with the confidence of knowing I found the key to success in life. Would you stand with me with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. It could be that you're here today and you do not know Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life and I have good news for you that today before you can leave this building you can know that Christ is in your life and heaven is your home. And you don't have to work your way to heaven. You don't have to fight your way to heaven. You don't have to earn your way to heaven. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. If you're here today and don't know Christ as your Savior, you can know him. And it's as simple as ABC. A, you've got to admit you're a sinner and you can't work your way to heaven. That's easy for us to admit. There's no way I can work my way to heaven. I can't. You can't. No one ever has. B, you've got to believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day. And C, you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.